Welcome to Who All Gonna Be There, a podcast by artists for artists. We talk cash shit about everything. Sometimes we get messy. And it all counts as art because we say so. I'm Mel. I'm black. I'm a woman. I dabble in artistry sometimes. This week, I'm a rogue scientist currently blacklisted by the government, a botanist, and I also work part-time as an agent for CSI, Racial Appropriations Division. (laughs) Um... Maximiliano, aka Maxi Returns, the Max Attack is Back Jack, etc., etc. For those of you sitting there wondering how to support Nat Turner Project, here's how. We have a Patreon page where you can also get exclusive podcast episodes, which are only available behind the paywall, so we get extra messy. We have an Etsy store where you can Find all of our merch, our publications, zines, totes, buttons. Um, get your NTP stuff today. Um, find us, find the podcast on iTunes, on all platforms. Um, leave comments, leave reviews. Um, if you want to email us, shoot us an email at natturnerprojectzero at gmail.com. We'll take questions um, on here as well. And um, yeah, we'll try to figure it out. Matt Turner Project. All right, so this is the fourth and final episode of our Black Abbey series. Black Abbey is a black artist and writer's residency that Nat Turner Project started with Sherita Town of a Black Art Ecology of Portland. One of the artists in residency is someone who has been quite prolific within the Portland arts landscape, both on the administrative side as well as within their own individual practice. It's Jaleesa Johnston. Hi, Jaleesa, what's up? Hello, hello, how are you? We're good. Hi, Jaleesa. Hi. Jaleesa Johnston is an interdisciplinary artist currently living and working in the Pacific Northwest. She has exhibited her work in cities along the West Coast, including San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle. She currently facilitates workshops and classes in new media and performance art. 
Thanks, Max. So um, we are going to start this show the way we now have to start every show since um, the train wreck that is 2020. Um, so we're going to start by asking you, Jaleesa, how are you doing? Um, a lot has happened in the last six months, and who knows what's going to be happening in the next six months. So how are you coping with all of this? Um, well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, and let's see, how am I doing? I'm doing okay. Like, it's been uh, the very beginning was like a huge emotional roller coaster. Like every day, I feel like I was experiencing every single emotion that was available to me, at least once, sometimes multiple times throughout the day. Um, and so the, the beginning was probably the roughest. I think at this point I've gotten, I've been very fortunate and privileged in a lot of ways that like I'm able to still work and I'm able to still like both work my day job and work on my, my own personal work. Um, and I'm still able to like pursue some important personal projects. Um, and I've gotten into like a rhythm, I think with quarantine, I think in the beginning I was, it's weird because before quarantine, I was like, I just need a break. I'm so overworked. I need a break. I need a break. I need a break. And then quarantine hit and I was like, damn, I didn't mean like this. I didn't mean this. This isn't funny. I wasn't talking about it like this. Um, <laughs> and now I've sort of, um, fallen into a rhythm and I didn't know what to do with myself at first, but now I, I think I've gotten into a piece. So I'm doing okay in the quarantine end of things. Um, and then we're currently in a social uprising slash revolution, which is, um, scary and exciting all at once. So that's also taking that all in and dreaming a lot about what, what things could look like. Um, and allowing that to make me more excited than fearful of anything. So, yeah, long answer, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> how, how are you both doing with the, uh, whew. um, I have my good days and my bad days. Um, I do a my way of self-medicating is with art, so I've been making a lot of art, which is nice. Um, but it's been really difficult to try and deal with what's happening out in the world, you know, because there's so much uncertainty around it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing um, similar to how you described um, for yourself. I was definitely a whirlwind of emotions in the beginning. Um, but yeah, I have seemed to find um, some rhythm. Um, yeah, I'm still, I still feel like the world's a big unknown. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, I hear that. We are deep <laughs> in the tower tarot card, that's for sure. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, it's this. Uh, really fun card that everyone hates to pull and <laughs> i mean it's like i i think people hate the tower card probably more than the death card um and like the imagery it's this like it's, it's a tower 
and there's this like lightning bolt coming from the sky that's sort of like striking the tower and kind of cracking it open. And there are people jumping from the windows. It's chaos. It's like a very moody, very heavy feeling card. And it's sort of, from what I understand or in my life, what it comes to symbolize is like really radical, radical change. But oftentimes if you pull the card, it's because you are resisting change. And so it's sort of like life will find a way to change whether you want to or not, which is all those people jumping from the, the windows are the people that refused to leave the building when they had enough warning to do it. And now they have no choice but to leave the building because the building's going to come down whether on either on top of them or, you know, so uh, it's like, it's a pretty intense card, but on the other side of that change, there's an opportunity to build something really, really beautiful and awesome. Um, so, you know, I think change is always kind of painful and uncertain, um, and scary in that way. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, that definitely resonates. I feel like what's happening now has been at least eight years in the making, at least, and that's being generous. And we've all had plenty of time and just chose not to. Yeah. Heed the warning. And I can't, I, and part of me is like, is this the moment or are we still all sitting in the tower? Like, you know what I mean? Still playing games. Like, okay, maybe I'm not going to leave, but maybe I'll move some things outside. Like, I don't know. I'm like, is this really the change though? Um, so there's also that question of like, what, what is this really that's happening? I don't know. Yeah. With you saying that, it makes me think of like, um, like small cracks appearing further away and then closer it's bigger cracks but it's still not the full shattering and then maybe like another 20 years from now 30 years from now it becomes like a full shattering but then you see all the signs when you look back like oh yeah that was the first sign or here's another sign yep. Yep. i think so so there's also that part of me that's like yeah i don't know i don't know that what we are currently witnessing is the final break but it's it's an important step that. Do you think there is a final break? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there will be. Um, and I don't think that's like a bad thing. I just think there's going to be a point where like this system does not like work. I've talked with a lot of my colleagues like this just is not working. It hasn't worked. It's not going to work. Um, and something has to give. It's not gonna it can't stay like this. Um, so yeah, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know exactly what's going to look like, but. So you think like after the final break, there'll be like a new thing. And um, then, and then does a new thing have a first break and then proceed to have more breaks? Yes. <laughs> I like that <laughs> because I don't, I actually don't think there's such thing. It's like, it's all going to fall apart and then we'll build something amazing and it's going to be perfect. <laughs> I think it's gonna be, uh, I think that's the short story of what it could look like, but the longer, more involved story is that it's gonna be, it's kind of like healing. You know, when you're healing from things in your life, it's never linear. And um, there's breakthroughs that you have that are so important, but like lo and behold, that thing that you thought you healed and was gone is gonna rear its head again, but in a different way. And I think it's gonna be like that. It's weird, we're gonna have these really awesome breakthroughs and clear a lot of space. But the same issues or like the root of it will resurface and we'll just have to re like, we'll just have to address it again. 
and and again and 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 I don't think that's a bad I think that's just like life that's just the cycle of healing it's never like a one and done thing I don't think anything is really one and done how do you see those like you're you're someone who is deeply deeply entrenched in the art world like in multiple facets and tears how do you see that manif that that breakage those cracks manifesting in the arts industry oh man melanie why'd you have to hit me with that question <laughs> <laughs> well, why, no. No, it's a good question it's something that i'm thinking about because you know i have my day job where i work at the i have two day jobs i work at the museum um on programs uh, at the learning and community partnerships department and then i also teach at pnca um and the actual work of what I'm doing, I love, um, and I love a lot of my colleagues. I think I'm really fortunate to be surrounded by like an immediate group of really awesome people. Um, but the institutions themselves, I think, are that I, the. I think we're going to have to reimagine really hard what these spaces could look like and could be, um, moving forward. And I feel like that process has started, maybe not in the deepest way that I think it could or that I would like, but um, but it started. Like there's baby steps. I don't necessarily know. I I'll speak for the not for the museum, but just my experience there. I can't speak for the institution by any means, but my experience there. There are conversations happening. People are like tr thinking about active change. How can we be different? What does that mean? Uh, what needs to happen? Um, I think that maybe some of the questions are really scary and hard and maybe we're skirting around them a little bit. Uh, I don't think we'll always do that. I think that eventually we will like really tackle those really hard things. And I think they're in the back of people's heads. I just think it's, I think change is, I think for people that have power, change is hard because that means you have to give it up. You know what I mean? And, and I think that actually includes myself. Like, I'm there. Um, and I love the, I love working there. Um, but if things were to really radically change, that would mean that at some point I would have to give up the bit of, you know, power or privilege that I have there. And I think that's a, that can be a scary reality, you know, because yeah. you don't know anything else. You don't know. So... But I think people are aware of it, and I, and I think that at some point we will actively talk about it and address it. I don't know how, when, or how long it will take to get to that point in our conversations, but it has to happen. If, if, if we're trying to open up the space and really make sure that it is serving our communities actively throughout the, the larger social change that's happening, we have to be okay with letting go. Um, and even I see that like, I'm, and that actually scares me because I'm like, but I love my job and I love, like, I love being able to connect with artists and I, but it's like, yeah, but it's also in a limited, uh, it can be a limited capacity. And if I want to open it up and have a more, um, expansive way of connecting and serving and working with artists, then, you know, you've got to be open to the ways that you have to step back yeah. or step down. So... You had to hit me with that question. <laughs> well, I mean, it is the proverbial elephant in the room these days, right? 
Yeah. Um, in this world. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned that it's a scary prospect, but I think that it's only scary because we've been conditioned to believe that the model looks a certain way, right? Yes. Um, I don't know, just ideologically, I just believe it's a better world where everyone has a say, right? That it's not about who's seated at the table. Like, the better world is where the table doesn't fucking exist. Like, everybody's in the room, right? Yes. I don't know. It's hard to imagine the art world looking that way, but I want to. I really do. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's totally possible because arts existed forever right and it's and it wasn't called that uh, i talked about this with manny or manuel actually in uh, a different podcast we did for centrum and you know they had mentioned and i was like oh good point like arts existed um it's always existed it just wasn't always it's not always called that in other places and some of the ways that it's existed it's been like I like that word expansive, like an open field of exploration and it's applicable in everybody's life every day. Um, And so I think as scary as it is, I'm like, oh, how could it look? It's like, well, it looks like that currently for some in the world. It's looked like that in the past for a lot of people and it can look like that again for us if we want it to. But we have to want it, we have to choose it. We have to be willing to make the changes for that to happen. So, Jalisa, um, I'm sure all of our listeners want to know, what was your first introduction into art? And then what was the thing that made you decide you want to be an artist? Okay. That, um, so my first introduction, I remember as far back as preschool. Did you guys ever have those hot plates and you put the paper on it and then you'd like draw with crayons and it would melt and create like these... Oh, oh, yeah. I went to a Christian preschool. I am not Christian. (laughs) I went to a Christian preschool. And there's, um, they had these like hot plate things. And I think it was wax paper, you put wax paper down, and then you would draw with crayons and it would melt. And I loved doing the activity so much. And I got a lot of like a lot of my peers would be like, Oh, that looks so beautiful. And the teachers were pointed out. And so then I um, maybe it was part of it was like out of like a vanity or um, narcissism, but I was like, oh, I'm good at this. People keep pointing out. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep doing this because they point it out and they, they like what I do here. Um, <laughs> I was, I was like that annoying kid that would draw something and I'd have to show somebody what I drew. Uh, I think I'm probably still that in a way. <laughs> I try not to be so obnoxious about it though. Um, <laughs> but um, so, and then uh, I had a teacher in third grade and then had her again in fifth grade. And she um, saw that I, I loved to draw and tried to, in a very, um, like, very nonchalant way, let me know that it was a possibility for me. And then it was in fifth grade. She took me, um, her name's Pauline Stone. I still remember her. She was amazing. She took me, school had ended. I graduated from fifth grade. And then she asked me all if it was okay. And she took just me. Um, and I think like one other friend to the Modern Art Museum uh, in San Francisco. It was my first time going to like that museum. I'd never been before. You know, I'd been to other museums, but you know, when you're a kid, they yeah, it, it's different. They don't take 
you to the modern art museum. <laughs> and then she bought me this, my first sketchbook that had this collage from Matisse on the front of it. Um, and like made it very clear to me that like, if you want to do this with your life, you can, and there is support there. there there's a place where people support and value what you do and who you are. And you can be that if you want to. Um, and so that was like, and then it was just in my head of like, I'm going to be an artist until the end of undergrad. And I was like, I'm not going to be an artist. I don't want to be poor. <laughs> and then I tried really hard to like do the biggest U-turn of like, how do I get out of this little hole that I've dug for myself? Um, and I tried to do other things like that were creative, like, oh, I'll be a fashion designer because you can make money doing that. Um, but I don't have the brain for that. I was just like designing things I already saw in stores that I like. <laughs> it's not designing. You're just it's like figuring out how to recreate that thing that you like. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, I think I could do photography. I could do fashion photography. And then I started taking darkroom classes again. I had taken one before, but I just started taking them again at a community college. And then before I knew it, my like darkroom photos were looking less fashiony and just weird because I'm weird. And then I think at that point I realized, okay, this is who I am. Like, this is the kind of work I make. This is who I am. I'm just going to accept it. I'm going to go with it. Um, and then I went to grad school and then that led me up here. So I'm glad I went with it. Um, but it took a long, it took like a couple, a good three years of like being in hardcore rejection and not wanting to be an artist because it just seemed like artists were struggling. And that was always the story that's kind of glorified. And artists do struggle. And a, a few don't, but the majority do struggle. And it's, you know, but it can be very fulfilling in a lot of ways too. There's a reason why people are still making their work, you know, despite all the odds that are against them. It's necessary, I think. Um. So yeah, like, as we've mentioned, you've, over the time that I've known you in the past, what has it been, four years now? Yeah, over the past four years, I've, I feel like you've consistently worked within three, at least three different branches of the arts industry, like education, visual performance, and administration. Like, how would you say that each of these facets of the art world contributed to your practice? And like, do you have like a favorite amongst them? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so teaching was actually like my first step into having, um, other than making my work, that was the first step in being involved in the arts. Um, and I love teaching so much. Um, I love it. I do question what it means to teach an to teach art in academia and academia context. That's something that I'm always thinking about and working through, but um, at its core, sitting in a room with all those other people making their work and watching them make their work and being able to like hold space for that. I love that so much, so much. And I think that a lot of artists who teach do it because they love that process. Um, and for me in my practice, it's definitely made me think about ways that I could because, you know, teaching in an institution, you don't always get to teach what you want to teach when you want to teach it. Um, and But there's a lot of things I'm interested in that I myself am learning about and exploring. And I'm like, man, I would love to just have a class or a study group on this. Um, 
And it's got me thinking about ways to teach outside of an institution where I can teach what I want to teach with people that I really want to teach with. Um, and so it's informed my practice in that way of like thinking actively about teaching and what and the flip side of teaching is I think always being a student, always learning. I think artists are always learning and um, I think you're you can be a really good educator as long as you're always open to being a lifelong student. Um, so that's how that seeped into that part of my work. And then the arts administration, that's fairly new. I started working at the museum last year. Yeah, it's been a year, last year. Um, and I knew when going in and I had my interview, I said, I'm here because there are certain skills that I need because I have a vision for something I want to create in the future. And I need the skills that I'll learn in this job. Um, you know, still thinking in my mind about what could it look like to create an arts education space and create like a creative community that doesn't look like any of the two spaces I'm already involved in. But I'll need some of the skills, organizing skills and thinking that I'm learning in those spaces to do that. Um, and so at the museum, it's more just like I'm learning a lot about like ways to get creative and supporting artists, um, how to extend different opportunities, how to like, for me, a lot of my work is about roping people into a space that feels walled off right. majority of the time, like seeing those voices and hearing those voices as necessary and trying to bring them in as much as possible. Um, and then partnerships, what does it mean to have a healthy, balanced partnership with another organization or another person, what does that look like? When you fail, what does that look like? Um, I learned a lot about partnership. Thankfully, I came in at right, the perfect time. I came in at the Hank Willis Thomas exhibition and I learned a lot about what it could look like to create very strong but challenging partnerships from Ella. Um, yeah, there's, so for me, that's sort of what I'm learning now. And, and I don't know, I, this, that, that sounded really jumbled, but it's all like, I haven't quite figured out where all the pieces are fitting, but I feel like they are, they're fitting together in some way. I feel like there's something that I'm working towards. And while I haven't fully figured out what that's going to be or what it's going to look like, I feel like everything that I'm taking in right now is helping. It will be a tool that will help me like really realize what that is. When you're like, when you're an artist and you're just like making work and stuff, I feel like there's kind of this hidden curtain, like you don't really have to know or understand the processes behind like getting your work seen, um, promoting it, like all the administrative stuff. You don't necessarily have to know like how the sausage is made, so to speak. Um, being like sort of uh, immersed into this administrative aspect of it, has that kind of taken some of the mystique away from being an artist for you? Big time. <laughs> Big time. Um, I think one thing that it's done, and I had not anticipated this, and I don't know if this is a good thing, honestly, I'm questioning it. The one thing that it's done is it being on the other side and seeing how complex and complicated it is that it's not as simple as you think it is on the outside. 
and then there's so many people that you're working with and so many other people that have to okay something and that everybody has to be on the same page and like when you're working at an institution like that with a lot of moving parts and everybody has different jobs and then even when you're working i'm learning a lot about donors what it means to i don't work with donors but i'm sitting because of covid i'm sitting in closer proximity to my colleagues that do actively work with donors and i'm hearing conversations or i'm 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 sitting in on conversations that I never got to sit in on before. Um, that's opened up my, I'm learning so much about like donors and what that working with a donor means and like the people who have money. And it's just been a huge eye opener. And what that's done is, and this is where I'm like, well, I don't know if that's a good thing necessarily on the outside as an artist now working with other institutions, it's made me a little more, um, understanding or sympathetic or empathetic with those institutions, a little more forgiving. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a good thing though. I don't know how forgiving we should, but yeah, I think having been being on the inside of one and then now when I step to or work with another institution, I am always thinking about how incredibly complicated it actually is on the inside that I'm not able to see. There's like a whole inner working of wires that's really messy and tangled and on the outside I can't see that and so now I'm um I'm thinking about that a little more when I'm interacting with institutions um and maybe feeling a little more like soft like oh okay yeah I know it can be you know it's not always even if you want to do the thing that you want to do there might be things in your way other people or other structures in your way that sort of prevents that or not prevents it, but makes it that much more difficult to just make it happen. So Jalisa, um, yeah, thank you again for talking with us today. Um, as stated at the beginning of this episode, this is our Black Abbey series, and you are one of our Black Abbey residents. Um, how is how has the residency been? What have you been working on um, with your time here? Yeah, the residency has been great. I have. Somehow I lucked out. Like at Centrum, I got this huge room all to myself and nobody else wanted it. And the same thing happened. I got this huge room all to myself and nobody else wants it. Um, and that's been nice. There are mirrors. I'm in like the ballroom. Um, and I've been able to do a lot of movement stuff. Like, you know, at home I do movement stuff, but I always have to be aware of the nearest table or wall or whatever. Um, <laughs> in that space, I can just move and I don't have to be super aware. It feels really nice and uh, a little more freeing. Um, and then I have like two tables set up where I'm still working on drawings and like working through my drawing stuff and trying to figure that out. Um, and it's been mostly just like quiet and peaceful. I, during like last weekend um when i went to the studio and the unfortunate side is because of the moving and now being further out i haven't gotten to go as often as i want to um but last saturday i went there and i was just so tired and not feeling like i wanted to work on anything and i just read a book and it was nice because it's like nobody can bother me my partner can't ask me about the dishes <laughs> the dogs aren't in my face the cat isn't screaming at me for his food <laughs> like this is nice like i could just stay here and read and not be bothered i love this so it's also just been a really nice quiet space uh, 
and a space to spread out. I don't have a lot of space here at home and I just get to spread out and, and have everything laid out and get messy. And so for me, it's been, it's just been a really nice way to work. It's, it's nice to not be so confined both in time and, and, and space. Um, and then was there another part of the question I'm forgetting? What have I been working on? Yeah, what have you been working on? Yeah, loosely movement stuff. I, it hasn't developed into anything, but it's just been nice to move. And then I have been trying to figure out the same drawings that I was working on at Centrum. I'm like, go away. I'm done. But they're still in my mind. They're a pain in my butt. I keep describing it as that. I had a nice studio visit with Ella last weekend, and they gave me some really good feedback that I think is helping me um, not step away from the drawings, but take them in a different direction that is now more interesting to me than where they were before. And and, then, and what are these drawings exactly? Um, so the drawings are originally, they are... Um, so I, as part of my movement practice, I'm really interested in like the body um, and the, the, like my, the form, my form when I'm moving. So I've gotten into this practice of having like a, a private movement practice where I film myself, I'm often nude, and then I use that material for the drawings. And the drawings are I had accident. It was like an accident how I stumbled upon them. I was trying to collage hair onto some paper, and I didn't want to use glue. And I was like, "I'll use gouache." That didn't work. Um, <laughs> I the hair just came off, and I pulled it from the paper. But then the hair left this really a beautiful imprint on the paper. And so what I started doing was mixing. I use like really fine pen lines to draw bodies, and then I fill in parts of the body with the lines of the hair. Um, I think it's sort of an extension of my performance practice where I already work with hair and I use it as an extension of the body or I use it as a way to talk about a bodily presence that is not just confined to this like skin sack that we're in, but that our bodies actually like black bodies reach and merge into spaces that are often unseen. Um, and so it's cool because the drawings have allowed me to really do it in a way that's more literal, but also at the same time more abstract. Like my, my head can't just burst into like a bunch of like hair knots in real life yet that I know of. <laughs> but in my drawings, they can, you know? So it's sort of opened up this more play to make what's happening in my mind uh, visible on, on a page and ta more tangible for a viewer. Um, and I've been thinking more, it's often many bodies on the page interacting with each other. And I think about the bodies as one body. It's not many different people, it's one person. It's like, if you could encounter yourself over and over again, you know, if you like, the you that was just in the kitchen could walk out to find the you sitting in this chair right now to find the you coming through the door from yesterday with the groceries. Like if you can encounter all of these moments of yourself in one space, what would that look like? Would they fight? Would they hug each other? Would they, you know, just find a way to um, tolerate each other? And all those different relationships of you relating to yourself. How would that look in a physical space? So that's, and I, and I think about that in movement. I think about 
like when I'm moving my body and in particular a lot of my work's improvisational like improvised um I feel like I'm already projected into multiple spaces of past present and future because there's the part of me that was just doing a movement that is now processing that and thinking about what will be the me into the next movement and so I already feel like I'm sort of strung out across this timeline or multiple timelines of movement and so I was like oh, drawing is like a really good way to talk about that, that makes it visually clear for people. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that you work at the museum. Um, how has your work at the museum changed since COVID? Um, yeah, I had mentioned earlier that I'm sitting in, I'm working closer with people that I hadn't before. I'm sitting in on conversations that I hadn't before, uh, which I kind of like. I like working closer with different people and I like learning more through these conversations. Um, all of our programs have gone online, like everybody else, it's all digital. So I'm working with like, right now we have a series of in dialogue programs that are happening for the um, Robert Colescott exhibition and I'm working with the facilitators for those in dialogue sessions to figure out how is this going to work in a digital space. Um, you know, we're still like working um, with the Mount St. Helens Institute. And so we have, we're thankfully continuing a lot of our partnerships. We're working with the numbers and we're just having to think more about how can we do this or get the, keep the spirit of what this is um, but do it through a digital a digital means um and yeah I, I think it's it's been challenging but it's also opened up more opportunities at the same time it's been so it's weird because it's like it's both been limiting challenging and opened up more opportunities i'm like it's somehow done all of that all at once um yeah and then again i just get to work like i'm working a lot more with the curators which is fun um there's some really cool people on the curatorial well actually everybody on the curatorial staff is really cool there's you know i, I get along with the curators i like them um and they're they're being really active and creating more programs um and they while they helped like while they collaborated on programs before with us with our department they've really like just taken on the job of creating them on their own which has been a lot of fun to see all these different programs happen um yeah that's how that's changed um and then there's also the continuous like i mean this moment is all about precariousness which you know i think there's a lot of people that have been living in a precarious state their whole lives so this isn't new for them but for the institution i i don't think the institution was never in a certain place where like total stability but there was more stability than there is now. So we're also always like wondering what's going to happen next. We just had a huge cut. A lot of my colleagues are gone. You know, the layoffs were deep. Um, um, and it's changed a lot of people's lives. And, you know, I just found out that one of my colleagues is having to move back to um, a state that they used to live in because work's been hard to come by now. And, so it's been a lot to take in. Um, a lot of things have changed. And 
Um, I don't know that I, I'm very grateful and feel very privileged that I'm still working. Um, and I'm still working with my team and the people that I'm working with. Um, but I also recognize that um, nobody is safe. And that's in quotes, because what does that even mean? Um, so I'm just trying to stay in the moment. I'm just trying to enjoy the work um, and enjoy the connections with my current colleagues and with partners and with dreaming and thinking about what we could create. Um, and then just trusting that should anything shift or change, um, you know, I'm, I, I can handle it. I can, I can figure it out. And I think everybody's working like that. Like I think every single person at the museum is trying to work in that, in that mentality. And Jalisa, I remember you doing um, artist talks before COVID. Um, are they going to like happen digitally or is there going to be a, a Zoom continuation of those? That's a good question. I am hoping so. I'm fighting for it. I feel like I'm always bringing them up every chance I get. Um, you know, because I mean, the cuts are an indication that like there have been some pretty major budget cuts. Um, but I've been working with like the curator of contemporary art and I'm starting and like, you know, Sarah's been really, that's the curator of contemporary art, Sarah Kajewski. Uh, she's been really awesome at trying to facilitate conversations between me and the contemporary arts council to maybe think about ways that we can partner to continue an, a version of artist talks. Um, I'm thinking about how they'll happen digitally. Could we use social, our social media space? to extend artists' voices, could use the blog space to extend artists' voices. Right. These are all things that I'm, you know, Zoom, live, artist talks, Facebook, live. There's, we have a lot of different platforms to make it happen. Um, I think we're just trying to figure out the budget piece and the logistics, but I bring it up every chance I get because that's like, I'm so passionate about it. I'm like, I wanna hear from other artists. I think it's important that their voices are consistently um, sounding off in different areas of the museum. And this is one area where I can work directly with artists to make that happen. Um, so it's, while it's been on a hold, it's been on a pause, I am working as hard as I can to figure out the logistics to get it up and running. And I'm hopeful, I think it will, I think it'll happen. Um, and you also mentioned that you recently did a uh a video interview with Manuel Arturo Rio, who we've had on for this podcast recently. How was that discussion? Oh, it was great. I was like, you know, I did my research. Uh, so I was already familiar with Manuel's work. I got to see the, um, and I'm always referencing the show that you you guys curated with them, with Sedoni at PNCA. Um, I still think about the objects in that show. I still think about it. It rocked my world in a lot of ways. Um, Same. Um, yeah. And um, and then I was doing a lot of research. I listened to the podcast that, that you all had recorded with them. Um, and I went into it, honestly, like nervous. Cause I'm like, Manuel's brain well, yeah. Yeah, works in ways that I think mine never would. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with their conversation. Um, but it was great. It was lovely. They were amazing. And they asked some really like challenging, but like sort of 
questions that help blow things open in my brain. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a really good conversation. I wasn't expecting it to not be a good conversation. It was just like, I think I just put so much on it of like, their brain is amazing. Can I even begin to have this conversation? And it turned out, yes, I can, because they're so, I mean, yeah, they're academic, but they're also, they're able, they converse in so many different ways and their brain is amazing and very pliable. And, you know, even in some of my weird abstracted ways of thinking, they were able to meet me there and totally understand where I was coming from. And so it was like, yeah, I loved the conversation. It was a lot of fun. And then after a while, because, you know, if anybody knows me, you talk to me long enough, maybe this is the Pisces side of me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Max, you're Pisces, let me know. But after a while, I just start getting really open and I just start talking about all kinds of things and like personal things and getting really vulnerable. It's just who I am. You talk to me long enough, I start to go there. Um, and then the conversation just went there. We just started talking about all kinds of things, not even like art related. I mean, I guess everything's art related in life, but um, we just started talking about like moving and living and animals and pets and things like that. And it was nice. And, I like when the conversation goes there and we yeah. just stop talking about just stuff. How do you feel like your art will look post Rona? Oh. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> post, I'm like, well, what does post Rona look like? Exactly. Right. Um, and then, because like performance, right? Like right now I can't perform live um, in the ways that I normally would, but that's been okay because for some reason I've been feeling less inclined to perform live publicly right now. Oh. Um, I mean, I can do it, but I'm not feeling called to do that right now. I'm sort of going a little more insular in my practice, like just turning inward. And when I do perform, it's usually just privately for myself. And But um in that way, though, right now, not being able to be in a public space and performing in like a room with a lot of people has been okay. And then post Rona, I mean, I don't think we're going to live like this forever. I, but I, I also can't say that with a lot of certainty. I don't think we're going to live like this forever. I don't think we're going to go back to normal. And that's also in quotes, whatever the hell that means. Mm -hmm. It'll look different, but I don't think it'll look like what we're current the way we're currently dealing with it. Um, I ha I'll be honest, like this is a question I'm like, man, I don't know. And, but I think my practice is so I do so many different things. I think my practice will just keep doing doing what it does, which is like just all these tentacles of different ways of making and creating. It'll just keep doing that. It'll just adapt. You know, it's always, I think artists, our practices are always adapting things. That's true. Yeah. So whatever it looks like, it'll, it'll, it'll be like the same ideas, just probably speaking in different forms. Sorry, that's not the, that's not a very like clear answer. Well, we don't live in very clear times, so yeah. it's appropriate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are you experiencing any byproducts? good or bad, of white guilt, TM. <laughs> um, am I? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, 
I definitely am. Um, let's see. I think mostly it's been on the more positive side. Um, although I can't really attribute, I don't know if I can attribute a lot of that to white guilt, but maybe, I don't know. Everything's blown up, but it's like, is it a coincidence or is it the white guilt? I don't know. <laughs> is this something that was always kind of in the works? Um, but yeah, I, I think I can safely say, yeah. Um, I think that, I think like working at the museum, for example, there aren't very many black people like at all. Um, and so I think that um, our voices are thought about more often, the few that are there. Um, that's something I'm experiencing. Um, and then I haven't really worked too much with other institutions at the moment, but I think that there, I think there are institutions that are being more like willing to just like say yes to things. Um, I, but it worries me though, because it was like, well, why couldn't it have just always been like this? Like, why is now the time that this is happening? Um, and then when the now passes, will you just keep doing what you were doing before? Or are you gonna continuously try to think about black voices more, black work more, black people more? Um, and that's just something where like time will tell, you know, and like, I mean, that's something that we've talked about uh, in different pockets of colleagues at the museum. We've talked about that. Just like, how do we make sure that this isn't just a for now thing? How do we make sure that this is a, uh, how we work from now on? Mm -hmm. um, and so people are thinking about that, not wanting this moment to be just for now. What has been, if, if I may ask, what have been your experiences? Um, well, for me, uh, people are buying my art on my Etsy page at a ridiculous, well, they, it were, it, they were at a ridiculous clip. Like my, the percentage of buyers went up like 300% in a two week span, but then it dropped. So that was temporary. And then there have been like some new developments in my professional life that are interesting. Um, and then Nat Turner Project has seen some donations um, out of nowhere, um, which we have promptly some tried to. Huh? Some more reputable than others. <laughs> we can't talk about that on here. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like, like you said, it's like, why wasn't this a, an option before? It makes it very difficult and impossible to trust. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, I saw when you were talking just now, that reminded me of like one of the biggest things that I've changed, my social media on Instagram. Uh -huh. I'll admit, I'm not the greatest at social media. I've never had a lot of followers. Accumulating more followers has always been, I haven't actively been trying to accumulate them, which is probably why it's been like the slowest um, increase ever. But in like two days, I had accumulated like 200 followers. And, and that was from a shout out from a, a friend, uh -huh. a friend um, who just shouted out like some of her um, like black artists that she really like, you know, she really enjoys our work. Um, and then it just shot up 
like 200 people. And slowly I've been seeing the numbers like kind of trickle because I'm like, okay, you all came, welcome. But I'm just gonna post about my cat. Are you still, <laughs> are you still invested in joy that I get out of watching my cat now? <laughs> or I'm just gonna like, just, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna just do these posts because, uh, you know, either you're here because you are invested in all aspects of black joy and black existence. And it doesn't always look like, you know, we, I think a lot of black people are like, we're thinking about being black. We're thinking about living in this world that is uh, so strongly anti-black. And a lot of us are doing work around it. But we also have, we are expansive human beings. Like we have, we love our cats or we like to take walks in nature or we really enjoyed this meal. And it's like, are you here for all of that? Are you here for, every single part of who I am and not just when I'm posting about my work that's specific to thinking about blackness or, you know, so I've been sort of just like, you know, watching, watching, watching like, you know, two or three leave another two or three. And I'm like, that's fine because I don't want anybody here. That's not here for all of me. That's real. And, and I, and, and I think that's not just a social media thing. I think that's all, everything that we're seeing right now yeah. and all of these institute, primarily white institutions, like you have to be here for all of black people, all, all of us. Yeah. Every way that we show up. Pets and all. Huh? Pets and all. Pets and all. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Especially my pets. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm staunchly, um, of the belief that um, if you are coming to my social media for political ideology and race 101, you are going to be very disappointed because I don't do that shit for free anymore. <laughs> like, it's not happening. First of all, I've retired from race 101 discussions, not doing that anymore. And two, I will do calculated talks with contemporaries on panels where I am paid. But yeah. social media, I go to social media for the jokes and the memes and the self-promotion. That's all you get from me. That's it. <laughs> so, like... Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm just like... People always, always question why you're doing what you're doing and where it's coming from. Is it genuine, you know? And what does that mean? What does genuine mean? What does it look like in this situation and how you're relating to this person? Because it's, um, I think it can be kind of like demeaning to just like have these people come stringing along because they're expecting something from you. They don't really see you, okay. you know? They see what they think you are. Yep. Or they project onto you what they want you to be for them. Mm-hmm. Which happens a lot with black people. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's uh, pivot on over to some happier things. What, what, yeah. what art are you getting into? What, what piques your interest these days? Oh, man. What piques my interest? Where am I? I had a whole stack of things and then I, I didn't lose them. They're just like inboxes. Cause I moved recently. Um, 
there was this sculpture magazine I picked up, I think it was like back in March. Um, I wish I could just go pull it out so I could like talk about the actual names in there. My brain is no good. It doesn't remember things. <laughs> but there's this artist who who's using horsehair to make these really interesting sculptures. Oh. Um, and as someone who uses hair a lot, I was really interested in like the forms. Like, and they'd mix like metal and then like have this like little, like one of them, it's like this metal sculpture, this round pocket. And it's like this deep kind of blue metal, like gray blue metal. And then there's like this tiny little sliver cut into the metal. It looks like a tiny, like as if you were to cut yourself or something, it looks really delicate. And then there's like hair coming out of it. Hmm. And I was like, very interested in that. I wish I had the name. I'm sorry. This is like really bad that I'm on here with like no names to any of my resources. We'll but, do our Googles. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I've been looking at like that sculpture magazine and looking at that work and trying to unpack what is there for me, the reason I'm so drawn to and interested in the, that work. Um, I'm reading slowly and, I, and I'll admit I've been reading this book slowly forever. Um, the Avatars, Black Women's Performance mm. book. And I'm, I'm butchering the title on that because that's not the like actual title. Um, but uh, I've been like slowly reading that for ages, um, but still slowly reading it. I dip into it every now and then and, and enjoy it. Um, and surprisingly, I also started this um, biography on... Um, Oh, why am I blanking out her name? Something Martin. She's a painter, was a painter. Mm. And it was like abstract, like grids that she painted. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna take you with me. We're gonna go, because this book is sitting literally in my other room. <laughs> Agnes Martin, there we go. <laughs> Miss Martin. Okay. Right here. And what? And what's the name of the book? Um, I Miss Martin, her life and art. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I actually don't know much about Agnes Martin. Um, but for some reason, this book was interesting to me. So I, oh, stop it. So I picked it up. Um, and yeah, I'm just sort of reading about her life and learning a little bit more about her work. Um. So it's kind of scattered, I think, right now. I'm sort of like all over the place with my resources. Oh, there's this other book that I've had checked out from the PNCA library for ages. <laughs> Haven't yet read it, but I promised I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna be like, just let me let me check it out one more time. Just let me have an extension, even though I've had it for months now, and they're probably like, dude, just give up give us back our either read it or give us back our stuff. One of the two. Um, I've always been a fan of Anna Mendieta, and it's this book, Radi Radical Virtuosity, Anna Mendieta and the Black Atlantic. Ooh. And I've had this from the PNCA library for a very long time. It was actually new. It was one of like the newer books. It was like a one week checkout. <laughs> and, then, and then the pandemic hit, and then like, they were like, it's fine, just keep it. And I've had a long time to actually read it. And of course, when the semester starts and they're like, return your materials, I'm like, please no, let me have it a little longer because that's just how I do things sometimes. Um, that's something that I'm looking forward to getting into. Um, 
I think that's it. I haven't been watching much. I, I think between like work and moving, uh, I haven't been able to watch much. Um, and I haven't really actually listened to much. So right now it's sort of very low, mostly reading material. What about you guys? What art am I getting into these days? Yeah, art, books. Um, any of it. I was just telling Melanie yesterday that I've been watching pretty much every uh, dating show on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you watched the one? Uh, is it is Love Blind? Yeah, yeah. I've watched that one. Love Blind. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm. I'm. It's on my queue. I really want to watch the Indian Matchmaker show because I've heard cool things about it. So. Um. But I have just been um, binge watching Scandal for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I miss that show. It, I mean, it's insane and ridiculous, but I loved it. <laughs> so. <laughs> I was trying to get Caleb into it and he's just like, I hate this show. Everybody here's stupid. He's stupid. He's stupid. She meddles and makes things worse. Like he just was like, he couldn't handle it. He's like, no, I'm not gonna watch this anymore. And then that's when I fell off. <laughs> um, we have been watching um, on Netflix. I think it's called, is it called? It's not called Dark Matter. Is it called Darkness? It's a German show. And it's about like time travel. Like really? Multiple, multiple, if it's, yeah, it's about time travel and like multiple timelines happening all at once. I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, but it's like, there's just like, you got to watch it. Cause there's like, when they show, so to, to jump in through the time hole or the time warp thing, whatever it is, it's actually, it comes out of this machine that was built to create the little like split in time. And it's this black mass that's just like, it's this really active black mass that's like moving and like tang entangling upon itself. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's my work. Oh my God. Like, so yeah, I'm like super into that show. But it's like this town of all white German people. I haven't seen one person of color yet in that town. It's all white German people. Um, but I'm interested still in like that mass. <laughs> so. And time travel, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. How did you, after, when you, if you figure out the name, let me know. I want to look into that. I'll just, I'll log back onto my Netflix when we're done and send it to you. Because it's interesting. It's just like this, it starts off with little kids going missing. And there's this one boy that ends up traveling back into time. Um, and he actually travels to when his mom was in high school and ends up like staying there. He's stuck and he ends up like dating and marrying the mom's friend and then grows up and knows that knows the reality of what's happening like knows that he's actually that lady's son who went back in time and is now um he ends up committing suicide at some point um it's intense it's confusing too you gotta like take notes because it's just you're like who's who and who's moving where and yeah that sounds amazing okay yeah i definitely want to know what this show is I'll look up the title. It's really, really, really good. I'll send it to you. Okay, cool. All right, so it's now time for Celie's glass of water. 
A special shout out for the folks who are doing the most with not even the least. Oh, Mr. Talking Trash about Suge. Folks don't like nobody being too proud or too free. Today's glass goes out to one Julie Pleck. Now, for those who are not familiar with Julie Pleck, she is one of the creators of the CW series Vampire Diaries. I believe it's now in hiatus, permanent hiatus. Um, for those of you who have attempted to watch that show in the past, particularly the narrative arc of the supporting black character, Bonnie, you probably suspected that something didn't quite connect with this person. But don't you love it when they use their Twitter fingers to go ahead and confirm it for you? So unless you've been chilling off the grid, which, understandable, or just don't know any black folks, you know that Houston rapper Megan Thee Stallion was shot, probably by someone she was well acquainted with. Now, the decent human reaction to this would be empathy, sending condolences and well wishes, and denouncing the perpetrators of this not-so-random act of violence, right? Spoiler alert, not so much when the victim is a black woman, not even a famous one. Julie Pleck, shortly after the incident, felt the need to tweet the following, and I quote, I believe black women are going to save us all, and I am so sorry to put that pressure on you. Bitch, what? Okay, first of all, we capitalize the B in black over here in these parts now. This is standard practice, according to whoever decides that sort of thing. And if you choose not to adhere to that, I have no choice but to take it as a sign of disrespect and act accordingly. Second, a woman gets shot, a black woman, and your immediate reaction is that you see her as a motivator and a protector put here to save you. All of my magical Negro spidey senses went off at this bullshit. Listen up, everybody, and hear me. Black women are not your damn superheroes. We're not here to save you from the world or yourselves or some nefarious unknown. We are sitting right here in the same fucking space as you, trying to survive our damn selves and trying to protect ourselves from you. How dare you, Julie Pleck, fix your Caucasian mouth to demand labor and service, not only from a black woman that you don't even fucking know, but one who has just endured serious trauma. I sincerely hope that you don't have any actual black women in your personal life, because I know that if so, you are probably putting them in some serious emotional trauma via microaggressions and God knows what else. Not to mention the black women who are probably on your payroll. You disgust me, Julie Pleck. You write about vampires, right? Bite me. All right, Max? Oh, yeah. Um... I have a new segment that I am premiering with this episode called Just the Facts with Max. I'm stating facts, 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 facts. The amount of gold in the sun is 1.2 times 10 to the 21st power kilograms. All right, well, on that note, um, we are going to get on out of here, um, and we'll do parting words. I'll start. Um, I would like to thank Julissa for stopping by to speak with us. Um, I find conversations with Julissa in general very, like, healing and enlightening for some reason, um, and she is one of the most brilliant and kind people I know, so I appreciate 
your generosity in sharing some of that with us today. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Oh, thank you. All right, Max, your parting words. Yes. Um, thank you, Jalisa, for being our guest today. Thank you for talking with us. Um, everything that Melanie said, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, I always enjoy talking to you. Um, Pisces energy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so those of you who don't know, Jaleesa and I were born the same year and just one day apart. Um, but now you do know. Then, um, yeah. So thank you, Jaleesa. I forgot to, but, um, I have an artist sock August 5th, um, performance works Northwest. You, uh, email them to RSVP. It's a happy hour. Um, we're making Moscow Mules, which was Plan B to my original plan, which was Vegas Bombs. But um, you know how it goes. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, thank you, thank you, everybody. Black Abbey series. It's been fun. Um, let's survive the rest of 2020. All right, Angelisa, your parting words. Um, just wanted to say thank you to both of you, and thank you. Um, for the residency and yeah, I, I feel very fortunate to be surrounded by and to have really connected with a solid group of people. And yeah, thank you. I love you both. Love Cut you. That out. <laughs> <laughs> there I go, getting all extra emotional. I love you both very much though. Your whole selves. I love you. Love you. I appreciate that. That is rare. Yeah, thank you, Julissa, likewise. Yeah. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.